Rock Central Emergency Podcast. It's Dan Richo and Satyar Shah here in the Kintec studio. And yes, Elias Patterson remaining with the Vancouver Canucks. Eight years, $92.8 million. That is an $11.6 million AAV. That will be the fifth largest in the NHL as of right now for next season when the contract mm-hmm. kicks in. It was uh, the story we couldn't get away from all week, Sat, and uh, here we are on the weekend even talking about it. Yeah. Uh, I, honestly, I'm delighted we're talking about it today, and yeah. we're getting it out of the way, especially with the trade deadline being around. And, and I do think if this did not get done here in short order, there may have been a let's table this for a few days or a week. Mm-hmm. Let's get through the deadline and we'll revisit this. Yeah. Um, but I think there was a real desire clearly from the Vancouver Canucks. There has been a massive desire from them. And like Alvin said, maybe for a couple of years, but especially uh, the past few months here, can we get back to the bargaining table? Can we figure this out? They really wanted certainty one way or another ahead of the trade deadline and not because they wanted to trade them. I think it's for their planning, what they're looking to do at the deadline. And perhaps maybe the biggest indicator, too, with all this stuff swirling around the past few months and you get to a point where the players on the team didn't know where he's going, you have such a opportunity this season. Yeah. Do you want something like this hanging over you if you can help it? And I think they're delighted to be able to get this done now. You uh, you hear some of the things. You hear how, um, you know, from the news conference today that they went late into last night hammering out this deal there's clearly a want or was clearly a want to just get it done I think there is part of that on Pedersen as well as the team right uh he admitted as much to hearing the noise and you know having to deal with that uh was suboptimal to some level for (laughs) him so and you could almost see the relief on him and I, you know, I think there's also, a, you know, they announced it at 7 a.m. this morning, uh, Saturday morning. You don't know. It's the largest contract in NHL history that it was announced at 7 a.m. on a Saturday morning. Yeah, no contract that big has been announced at 7 a.m. on a Saturday. <laughs> there was just clearly a want to uh, have it done and, you know, get it out there and then let the insiders do whatever the insiders are going to do and mm-hmm. uh, hammer out the, you know, the details of the contract, get that all out to the public and, and those types of things. But now you get to just, as Pedersen said, as part of his reasoning for wanting to wait until the summer initially, just focus on hockey. Because it's clear with the louder the noise got, focusing on hockey was becoming more difficult. Of course. Uh, and for Pedersen himself, based on what he said, it's clear and he was kind of making some jokes about yes. it. You see, you mentioned the relief on his face for having this over. I almost wanted him to commit to the jokes more because <laughs> they were good. It seemed like it, it seemed like pe- people weren't like, you know, picking up what he was laying down <laughs> yes. a little bit, you know, with his sarcasm I was a totally, little bit. I was like chuckling as I'm watching on the on the stream. But hey, hey. hey, don't don't blame the media members. They got a wake up call early in the morning. People had to ditch their plans and like boogie all the way down to Rogers Arena. So right, I was a bit on edge. and be a little bit more sharp when you're there. Come on. It was <laughs> Clearly a joke. Uh, but I, I would also say my biggest takeaway when the deal was signed and an eight-year deal at that, yeah, what an endorsement from Pedersen on to what management's done here and yeah. what's going on here. Because, it, and I've been mentioning this for the, the last, like, you know, about a year or so we talked about this and that 
there seemed to be this desire from Pedersen if he signed. It was like in Vancouver, it was likely going to be a shorter term deal, yeah. not a longer term deal. I know Dalywa mentioned a couple of the frameworks that we're talking late into the night last night too, where four and five year deals around 45 to 55 million, somewhere along those lines. So very much in line with pretty much what he got, but on a shorter 11-ish term. 11-ish million, yeah. But the fact that he was willing to go eight years probably tells you a lot about how happy he is in Vancouver the opportunity he sees with this team. And to some degree, I wouldn't say he's been won over. I think that's overstating things because I don't think he had one foot out the door. Like, uh, you know, there seemed to be a suggestion. And we joked about this, that there's a lot of rumors around Pedersen. And if you looked at the rumors from the outside, it didn't look pretty because it was all yeah. like, this person told me this, his money guy says this, this guy says this. It was always like all these like rumors from third and fourth parties talking about how they've heard Pedersen doesn't want to be in Vancouver. But it never came from a legitimate source. And those yeah. things to me... I don't put a lot of weight into it because I'm like, well, what's the source? The source doesn't seem strong enough. It seems like we're just projecting here, right? So I never thought he had a foot out the door, but I don't think he was at any point this season really ready to sign an eight-year deal. But team success, the plan they've had, and to get him to sign an eight-year deal deal is a massive win for the organization. I think it also shows in a big, big way how committed Pedersen is and perhaps to some degree how convinced he's how, how how they've convinced him over the course of this year that, that this truly is the place to be long-term. I liked how Alvin put it in how he viewed this negotiation and that it started when he first came in two mm. years ago. Yeah. And having that relationship, having the open line of communication, continuously trying to show Pedersen the vision of where they think this is going and how they are going to build a contender around him. Mm-hmm. And you know that communication makes the world of difference in how you portray the future to a player, show them where this is headed, that it's more than just, hey, we're giving you life-changing money. There's a real chance for you to win here. And that's, you know, those two things go hand in hand. Clearly, Pedersen wants to be a part of a winning team. And also he knows his stature in the league is one of the better players and what he can earn on the open market. So that communication was integral and, you know, the way things played out this week, it sort of just became a, you know, you're in a long-term relationship and you kind of, you're out for dinner one night and one of the two is just, so what are we doing here? Yeah. We're both pretty happy, but like, are we committed long-term? Yeah. Are are we going to like, you know, set this in stone with marriage (laughs) or not or or not, you know, and that's where it was. And forcing that sort of decision and that coming to this decision allows you to open up a whole new world of possibilities. Mm -hmm. You have the number now, 11.6. It's a favorable number. I don't need to, you know share that for everybody. The entire hockey world is pretty much saying it's a pretty favorable number for the Vancouver Canucks. That should tell you that they've signed a pretty good deal here with with Elias Pettersson. But now it sets you up for the future and what you can do, not just at this deadline, but it allows you to get your summer planning going. Just like we talked about with Jim Rutherford a couple of months ago when we asked him straight up, would it help you to to understand where Pedersen's number is going to be and have that set in so that you can start planning for the deadline and for next season and beyond. And I, I like we mentioned, I think they're looking at trying to add a impact player yeah. if they can here at the deadline, especially somebody they can play up top, perhaps even with the guy you just gave an eight-year contract extension yep. to in Elias Pedersen. 
And now you have a far clearer picture on your cap situation. So now the Canucks, after giving Pedersen an 11.6, that means that the Canucks now have 24.7 million in cap space next season, mm-hmm. plus another 2.5 million in LTIR space they can use with Tucker Pullman's situation. Now, yeah. maybe they trade him even. Regardless, they have roughly $27 million in cap space is the way to look at it. 27.2, 27.3, depending on how you do some of the math. But that's a pretty sizable chunk, even with Pedersen signed to a big contract. Yeah. So now you have Pedersen at 11.6. And I believe in a few years, if not pretty soon, you'll see that being a bargain with the cap going up and his production and what he can do. Quinn Hughes is on a magnificent bargain deal. $7.85 yes. million for arguably the best defenseman in the league this year maybe only second to Kale McCarr overall in terms of defenseman values and abilities in the National Hockey League. You have JT Miller playing as one of the top power centers in the league, making $8 million. Thatcher Demko is a bargain, absolute bargain steal of $5 million. Yep. So now you have the certainty with your top guys, and I think it allows them still to add another higher-end player. If you sign Lindholm to an extension, well, that takes away a lot of it, but... I'm not sure that's in the cards right now. We'll see what happens in the offseason. But if they add somebody, let's say for argument's sake, it's Jake Gensel. Well, now you have the space to also keep him. Now, you have some tough decisions to make elsewhere in your roster, and you can't keep everybody and everything. But they're in a unique position now where if they go and add a big-time player, despite giving Patterson 11.6, they can still keep that guy. And I wonder, having that certainty, make, does it make it easier for them, to perhaps, to pull the trigger on something now that you have that figured out exactly? And now you know exactly what you have to play with money-wise if you're extending someone or bringing somebody in who has a bigger ticket long-term. Yeah, it gives you just a little bit more confidence in what you're able to do here ahead of the deadline. And that was clearly something that management wanted. It was reiterated by Patrick Alvine today. And what that could be, I mean, that's something we'll, we'll debate over the course of the week. But it's the value of having Pedersen done now, done mm-hmm. and dusted. And there's part of me that thinks Pedersen is going to come out of this little lull that he's been in over the last couple of weeks, maybe through the month of February, now that he's got this settled. Just a, a relief for him as a player. Um, as far as value goes for this contract, Sat. Panarin, McKinnon, McDavid, and Matthews, as of next year, are going to be the only players making a higher average annual value. It is, by my brief research, one of the top 10 most expensive contracts in NHL history. That's still bested by uh, Alex Ovechkin's 13-year deal that he signed uh, forever ago, and he's already on his next contract, right? Um, And uh, Shea Weber's contract was 110. But, you know, there aren't many contracts that get signed to this level of a deal, and... It's still a discount for the Vancouver Canucks. You know, I said it a lot in the last couple of weeks. Pedersen could easily argue for up to 14% of the cap, which would have been 12 and a quarter on an average annual value. If he really wanted to go to war on a negotiation, they could have fought for more here. I don't think there's any doubt. Not to say that the Canucks got a huge hometown discount from from Pedersen, but... They looked at the Nylander contract and were like, that's the floor. We're going to go a step above it rather than a floor above it. Yeah, and and I think the other thing, too, you're right. And to keep in mind here, too, about how this all works out, you're right. He gives a bit of a discount, but the discount is never as big as people think. You know, people no. think sometimes a hometown discount, a guy's taking 
one or two million less per year, we're talking about a few hundred K. Yeah. At most, 500K or so. Did Pedersen take 400, maybe 500K less than he could have probably pushed for? Yeah. And that's a sizable enough discount yeah. to give. Like, and, and honestly, like even when the city And it grows in value as the as the yeah. contract ages. And and really and realistically speaking, that's all you can really ask for for top end guys. Like nobody's gonna give you 10, 15 million off their total value no. in contract, but will they give you out of eight years? Four million, five million off yeah. over the course of eight years. Sure, okay, we can do that. I can do that to help the team out, right? The Sedins, I remember when they signed with the Canucks to the identical six point one million dollar contracts um, back in twenty ten, leading into twenty leading into twenty ten. What they were kind of asking for was six and a half, a bit more, six yeah. and a half or so, and then they end up signing with four five hundred k less per year each. Maybe they could have pushed it and got six point seven five each or whatever. But you're not even talking about a million. That they took less. It was like four or five hundred K less that they took per year to get that deal done. And I think Pedersen did that here. And I also think one of the reasons why he was willing to do so is because of the bonus structure in the deal. Mm-hmm. But even with that, even with the bonus structure, he's still taking a discount because the way the deal was structured for um, William Nylander, Pedersen's getting 47 million of his money out of the 92 change in signing bonus money. Nylander got 69 million yeah. in signing bonus money. So I do think there was a, a a pretty fair level of ball played here by Pedersen. Like I think there there was a desire to stay, obviously, yeah, but also not a desire to hey, l- you know, put the Canucks in a bad spot because he wanted every single penny possible. Yeah. Like I, I, I'm sh- I'm not sure he's going to admit to it, and his agency's going to admit to it because you don't want to be mentioning hey we gave a discount. Yeah, but to me it looks like a player that could have pushed for more signing bonus money. Yes, could have pushed for a higher AAV. Yeah, and ultimately gave the Canucks a slight break on it. And I think that's something that should be commended. A hundred percent agree. And you know, I know a lot of our listeners, given some of the, the the texts we've got on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox in recent weeks, and certainly you and Bick have gotten on the post game show. Oh, this guy's not worth twelve million bucks. Whatever. Uh, He's given the team a bit of a discount here so that they can continue to build a contender around him. Now, that puts a fair level of faith in the front office that they're going to do the right moves. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty clear to from Pedersen's comments today that, and as we touched on, uh, off the top, that he believes a lot in what Patrick Alvine and, and Jim Rutherford have been able to do. And when you give a little bit of a discount, even if it is a haircut from what you're truly worth on the market— there is a level of trust that a player is showing to management that they are going to put that money to good yeah. use rather than like I don't want you to you know get me on a bit of a discount so you can sign Ryan Reeves to a number he doesn't deserve. No, exactly. Exactly. It's like hey, look at the guys they brought in. I have faith that they're going to bring the right players yes. in. And if I commit and this is in, in terms of being Pedersen 8 years, well, I'm committing 8 years and I'm not going four, and I could have gotten more in four or five years and everything. So by year four or five, yeah. six of this deal, my contract's going to be even bigger bargain. Yes. And now the team's going to have even more space. We talk about, for instance, the Sidney Crosby contract, yes. right? Or forget Crosby. Pedersen's not Crosby, right? No. The Leon Dreisaitl contract. Yeah. He signed $8.5 million when he came. was one of the highest paid players in the league when he got the contract. And then his first year, he was like a point-per-game guy. People were like, what the hell's going on with Leon Dreisettle? And then next thing you know, he's one on, the, on one of the biggest value contracts in the National Hockey League. Years have gone by. It's lesser percentage of the cap. Now it looks like an absolute steal for them. And how much is that helping Edmonton right now? Were you paying McDavid whatever you're paying him? But now you have Mc, Dreisettle at 8.5. It allows him to fill the 
the rest of the roster out. And I think getting Pedersen signed to this number for eight years gives the team that next window of opportunity in four to five years to perhaps have him on a pretty value contract relative to a league where the salary cap is hopefully in excess of $100 million. Yeah, there's uh, an, ex- an expectation that the cap does jump up quite a bit over the next few years, which could really highlight the value that the Canucks are getting over the eight-year term of Elias Pettersson's deal. I, I don't want to spend too much on uh, reviewing the history of how this has all played out, but it's already come up how this has played out for the Canucks, signing Pedersen to a bridge off of his second deal and now getting an eight-year term. When we've talked about this through the years, Sat, on Canucks Central, um, you know, the value would be, ultimately, could you get Pedersen for the bridge and then sign him to an eight-year term, and then you're locked into all of Pedersen's prime years rather than just hey, maybe you're looking at negotiating another contract when he's 28, 29, and still looking at another big deal that then you might be looking at a long-term deal where the back end of the contract is a little bit dicey. In this case, Pedersen and and the Canucks are married through all of the prime years of his career. It it ended up working out really well for the Canucks right now. You know, and... If you would have had Pedersen sign until 30, well, at least you wouldn't worry about this for another five years. Yes. Right? And that, that's a positive. You would have and had him sign. And you would be getting some value on the on you know whatever that contract number would have looked like. So I've seen people mention his previous contract. If he would have signed three years ago, maybe he would have signed for under $10 million. My understanding at the time was, and, and, and I mentioned this at the time, if he's going to sign a long-term deal, it's going to have to be close to Jack Eichel money, which was 10.5 on the cap. Yeah. And if you looked at Pedersen's numbers up until his second contract, relative to what Jack Eichel was making leading up to a second contract, Pedersen had outproduced him. Yes. So he was going to, based on projections, demand the Eichel contract at the very least. I don't think people realize how incredible Pedersen's first years in the league were. In points per game after three years, he ranked amongst some of the best players, at least in recent history. Yeah. In recent history... Like Sidney Crosby was ahead of him, Ovechkin. Alex Ovechkin was ahead of him, like on their entry level deals. Yeah, uh, Austin Matthews wasn't at the same point per game rate. He scored more goals, goals yeah. but points per game, Patterson was ahead of Austin Matthews at the time of his entry level deal expiring. So, you know, he had a lot of bargaining power coming out of his entry level deal that he could have went to like went to the negotiating table with and easily commanded double digits even at that time. Now, the obvious point here is the reason that the Canucks gave Pedersen a three-year bridge deal wasn't because they were hoping to get him done for eight years. They were doing the, we, the calculation we just mentioned to have him to 33. They did it because they didn't have enough cap space. They wanted yes. to sign him, Hughes, and contend and make the trade for OEL and yes. everything. So they didn't prioritize giving Pedersen a long-term deal. They prioritized making the team better, and to make the team better, it was better for them in the moment to get Pedersen a bridge contract. Yes. That's why that deal was done. Yes. It's worked out right now yes. for them, right? Yes. But it worked out because they changed regimes. Yes. It worked out because this regime, like you mentioned, over the past two years was able to convince Pedersen this is the place to play and also build a contender over that over the course of those two years. Of course, a lot of players are here that were drafted and brought in from before, of course, right? But... There was also a real crisis in this organization with their star players. Yeah. After when the final Benning year, there was a big question about who wants to stay here. Mm-hmm. 
Does JT even want to sign an extension? We mm-hmm. saw what happened with Bo, for instance, right? Besser and his situation was going on. There was talk about, you know, what's Quinn Hughes thinking with all this going on here? Is Pedersen going to sign an extension? The Canucks are not signing Pedersen to an eight-year extension if they don't change regimes. Yeah. And if this regime doesn't do the work they've done, especially over the course of the past, say, 12 months, yes. there's no chance in hell he's going to be signing this extension here. No. And that is clear as day right now. You know, Pedersen... For as much as, yes, he made it clear he loves Vancouver, and with the contract he signed, he is committed to this place. When you sign a deal like he did, eight years, and also giving a little bit of a haircut, as we mentioned, it shows a real commitment to the plan and to what is going on here. But this doesn't happen. I I, I don't know if the results, simply the results of being first in the Pacific right now, is, is what Patterson had to see. It's more than that. Like he mentioned today, the renovations ongoing at at Rogers Arena. So it's more because he's a pretty cerebral guy and a pretty yeah. smart guy. Like you know, he sees a lot more than just what's on the surface of what's going on with the Vancouver Canucks right now to commit eight years. What resources does the organization have to instill a winning culture and maintain a willing winning culture? Yeah, and the infrastructure in place in terms of physical infrastructure, needs to improve. We talked about practice facility. That's something they're working on, of course. But they have done a lot of work at the arena level, too, in the training rooms and all these things to provide a far better environment for these players. And I do think something this front office has spoken about quite a bit, and you hear Alvin mention it, and even talk it, they want to create a safe place for their players. Yeah. And that's not necessarily in the, in the in terms of you know security safety right. It's more about hey, you feel safe about where the team is headed, the resources available to to you, and how you can be the best version of yourself every day. And that's where the Canucks are a huge win for them today with Elias Pettersson. Uh, Quinn Hughes was um, there in the press conference room off to the side, so doing his captainly duties. And he's up for a new deal in three years, but it's the core of the Vancouver Canucks in place. That question goes away today and now continued planning about how they can continue to raise the ceiling of this team and potentially even push for a Stanley Cup this year as we are less than a week away from the trade deadline. We are going to get to some questions. We took yeah. some questions on, on Twitter, so we'll try to answer some of these before we get out. We kind of touched on the trade deadline a little bit. But in terms of what's next, yeah, I think it's going to be really, really interesting next week here, Dan. Like, I think this front office, now that they have this Pedersen thing done, they brought Lindholm in, they see the opportunity, they've kind of gone through a bit of a you know lull here as well, and they expect more than what's happened the last little bit. I think we're in. We could be in for some really fun times here the next week. So I, I, I thought about this uh, a lot yesterday. Does the slump scare you away from adding more to this team, or push you toward adding you more, adding more to this team? So this might be a, a big brain take, a little too big. <laughs> maybe I'm galaxy braining this a little bit, but I was kind of joking a while back, saying maybe the best thing to happen is go through a bit of a bad stretch ahead of the trade deadline, so that way you don't feel married to everything. Where let's say, for instance, there's something this team wants to do, but they were like, do we want to mess with the chemistry? Yeah. Do, do we do we want to do, like they're playing so well? Like, do we want to mess with this right now? Or do you have that same concern at the moment? Not so much. The chemistry looks a little bit off. And that's not to say they can't regain it. Of course they can. Yeah. And and I'm betting on the team regaining a lot of their form that they have showed in terms of how they play 5-on-5 five five and stuff and, and what they can do as a team, especially special teams. I think that can and should improve 
But maybe that kind of concern is gone now in terms of like, hey, we don't want to mess too much. Yeah. You can be a bit bolder now. Is this maybe a good thing to happen that you can have a more sober look at what you need and what you want to do instead of getting wrapped up in perhaps, you know, the good feelings and, and, and delusion is a strong word. But winning a lot in, in a short order can create delusional feelings about, yeah. hey, we're ready to win. We're a contender. I was making this point on Twitter with somebody yesterday that I think people, people fans in this market have kind of forgotten what it's like to watch a good team over the course of an 82-game season. Because when they're great, you're like, man, this might be the best team in the league. They're never going to lose. And then you think like the hot hand fallacy, it'll just continue going and there's no way it's going to stop. And then inevitably they're going to have a bad run. And when that bad run happens, the dopamine crash hits. Yeah. And if you're not ready for it, it's going to be tough. You don't know how to react to it, right? And I think there's a lot of that going on. So the highs are very high, the lows are very low. So not getting caught up in the dopamine rush of the team doing really well, I think it allows for a far more sober look at what they need to do at the trade deadline and perhaps not having the reticence to do certain things. So I think, and you know, maybe I'm overthinking it here, but I think it's probably a good thing for them to be going through what they're going through ahead of the trade deadline. It's it's clear to me, um, you know, you're one of the top teams in the league, especially in a year where there isn't a real clear-cut favorite right now. Not for my, not for my estimation. Yeah. You know, maybe the Florida Panthers in the East, they look like the most dominant team. I'm not convinced on on Colorado and their lack of depth. Dallas, you know, is Dallas looks scary. They look pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> um, Edmonton and Vegas, I think they both have their flaws, and Vegas certainly more so because of their injury situation right now. Though Vegas you worry about if they get healthy for the playoffs. Yes, but they don't look as formidable as they did a year ago or even earlier this season because of their injury situation. So the door is open for the Canucks to contend this year in the Western Conference. And what this slump has done, if nothing else, has given me a clearer picture of what they need, and that is still another top six forward. And it's clear as day that they need that because even if you get Joshua back and healthy, you reunite the Bluger, Garland, and Joshua line, and they can do their thing, you have whomever on the fourth line, move Lindholm up to play with Pedersen and really get them a runway to figure it out and how that's going to work, you're still a left wing short because... Mm -hmm revolving door of Suter, and now it's Mikheyev today at practice with Miller and Besser, like, they could use another running mate there. Or even if you want another running mate with Elias Pettersson and how you get the lines to work, I'm not sure. But it's very obvious that they could use another scorer in their top six. Yeah, uh, and I love to see them add one. But for you to add a significant salary, you also have to probably subtract something. Yes. And that's where it gets interesting. Now, like we mentioned, the Devils keep losing now. Mm -hmm. Maybe just maybe they're in a position they have to sell. Toffoli is a player with his contract that if they get, uh, say, New Jersey to retain, you can acquire him without necessarily having to trade anything significant off your roster. Like There are moves like that you can pull off. Yeah. And perhaps even Gensel, because his cap hit is, what, $6 million? So there are ways to maybe try to make that work if, if Pittsburgh is willing to retain. So it's not necessarily a point where you have to get rid of a big salary, but there is a level of you have to make some room to bring somebody in. Get hyped. The fireworks are just starting for the Vancouver Canucks after they sign Elias Pettersson to an eight-year contract extension. We'll take some of your questions next on Canucks Central. All 
All right, we're back in on Canucks Central and taking your questions here on this uh, emergency podcast. That's at T.R. Shaw. Put out a question, and uh, we got a couple that we want to take in. So, Jeff on Twitter, love to hear your thoughts at the player level next year, what you project will happen, knowing Pedersen's numbers, who is in and who is out. Start with a hard-hitting question. Man, honestly, it's going to be such a musical chairs scenario in the offseason. I can't wait for the offseason. Yeah. We could see some major fireworks. Like, So there is a world where you can bring everybody back, except for all your UFAs. Like, You can't do Lafferty, Bluger, Joshua, and everybody else, for instance. But you can bring your core guys back. Yeah. They can still sign Heronic. Yep. You can still extend Besser if you wanted to, who has one year left on his contract. Yep. My guess, though, is the team will take the opportunity where they've had some players regain value to make some cutthroat decisions. Yeah. And continuing improving this team. Yeah. And thinking of it long term and saying, great year, how many of these guys do we want to lock into? And how many of these guys do we want to sell high on right now and then revamp things a little bit next season? Well, with the way Brock has played this year, he's up to 35 goals. Yeah. You know, you're looking at a guy who's scoring close to 40 or will probably get over 40. He's going to command quite the number uh, going into unrestricted free agency and now in a year's time. And you've committed to Pedersen into his 30s now, which is fine, but you've done that. You have Miller into his 30s that you committed to. So it's like, you know, you have Hughes, who obviously is going to be, what, 27, 28 when that yeah. contract ends, so that's going to be in a good spot. But if you sign Heronik, how many of these guys are you committing to well into? Like, how many guys are you locking into? And that's going to be a big decision this offseason of Brock Besser. As of right now, I would handicap Lindholm as somebody that's not going to stay. Yeah. Um, I would say of the other unrestricted free agents, um, I don't think anyone on the defense is set in stone. Like Myers, Cole, Friedman, Zadorov. For my money, all of them could be gone. Yeah. And we could see a very different defense core for the Vancouver Canucks next season. The only forward I'm confident they will for sure bring back is Teddy Bluger. Yeah, I, I think I think that's a good bet. Yeah. That they bring Teddy Bluger back. Um we'll see what the I wouldn't be surprised if they and and we've touched on this on the show. You've mentioned it before. I know Dolly Wall has reported it. But now that Pedersen's done, maybe we see Bluger get done shortly after the deadline. Yeah, I could see that happen too. I think uh Bluger's a guy that they're they want to get done. Now that they have more certainty, what is that going to look like? I think Joshua's another guy that they would like to get done. We'll see how much they push and what his market's going to be like. The big one, and then we see a lot of people asking, like Michael mentions this too, what happens with Philip Hironik? Yeah. That's going to be the big one. The priority, and for those, you know, we're lumping some of these questions in because some ask, what's the next priority for the contract that you want to sign? Philip is the next big one. Yep. And that, to me, is going to be the most fascinating one this offseason. Because I don't think this team is going to be afraid of moving him if the number that he's demanding or his agent, Alan Walsh, will be demanding is way out of proportion to what the Canucks want to do. Frank Saravalli has continuously said it's going to cost more than... It's going to start with an 8, his average annual value number. So if it's $8 million, I don't think the Canucks do that with, with Hronik. Yeah. I would I would also advise against that. Yeah. So I don't think, I don't think do you that. can live in a world where Heronic's AAV comes in higher than than Quinn Hughes's does. It's only 0.15 and I know people say well the cap changes, you know, that's the world we live in. To some extent, yes, but also if Philip Heronic was truly a number 1 or 2 defenseman, you're like, okay, 
Yeah, but he's he's maybe a number like maybe two more of a three. Like he's really good. Like don't get me wrong. Like he's a really good defenseman. But is he putting anywhere near these numbers no. if he's not playing with with Hughes? And a lot of the production is with him five on five. And again, like last year he had forty some points in, in sixty some games. Like clearly a very talented hockey player. You can't dismiss that from Philip Peronik. I don't think he's a true number two. Yeah, or a number one for that matter. So eight million per year. What if you give him the JT contract, but eight years instead of seven years? So that's that's seven million per year over eight years. I would uh, still have hesitation at giving that kind of term. Yeah, but you know the the seven million average annual value is a lot more palatable than over eight million. I think seven, maybe seven, a little bit in change might be the, the the peak of what the Canucks may offer. I'm not even sure they'd go seven times eight even. Yeah, you know what I yeah. mean? Like, I think it's a lot of money. $56 million is a lot of money to well, commit. Like we've talked about it with um, some of the comps. Maybe Severson uh, seems a little bit low for especially what the year he's has had. done this season. But Vince Dunn last year, you know, not a, a, a huge track record of, of great success as a top-pairing defenseman. Mm-hmm. And he got what four years near seven and a half million yeah. per. So, you know that that kind of screams a little bit closer to what I would say is a, a fair comp for Philip Ronick. Yeah, and I think that's going to be the thing. Now Columbus went eight years with Severson. Yeah, so that kicked that AAV close to fifteen million, and that's kind of the range I'm looking at. If you're looking at a longer term deal, if they can get him signed to say, if, if they can get him signed to the Vince Dunn contract, yeah. That would be a coup for the team. A slightly higher AAV than you want, 7.35 or whatever, but it's four years. So, but long story short, I just don't see them, you know, you know, they're not backing up the truck the same way they did a Pedersen for Hronik. He isn't, uh, we've talked about this with this front office. Uh, they, they know who their horses are and yeah. they know who are more complimentary players. Yeah. And for as good as Hronik has been this year, I don't think it's lost on this management team that. Quinn Hughes has been one of the biggest reasons for Philip Ronick's breakout season, right? So if not the biggest reason for Philip Ronick's breakout season. Now on the flip side, Ronick has helped Hughes have his best season to date at the NHL level, and they've made a great pair, and there's value in having that, but there there is a ceiling to that value. And it's very obvious um, that they see that as well. All right, continuing with uh, another question here. Austin and Langley. Any chance the Canucks can bring in Lekaramaki this year? Been some scoring, and that won't cost anything. I mean, is there a chance? I mean, sure, because his SHL season is going to end before the playoffs begin. Scored the Michigan yeah, uh, this week. Yeah, he did. He had a great game this week, a couple of great games this week. And He's been on fire. Getting lately. hot again, yeah. yeah. Um, could it be a situation where he comes in, goes to Abbotsford, and then plays well, and then gets a ch- chance? Perhaps. I just don't see it though, guys. Yeah. Like, are they going to, could it be a black ace and then injuries happen and then he comes in? Sure. I mean, there, there's a scenario he comes and plays for you. There's no way in hell they're earmarking a spot for him, though. No. And just look at Archie Baines, for instance. Yeah. Now, different players, different projections and all that. But here's a guy who spent all of last year in the AHL, was an All Star game MVP this year. Yep. Leading scorer, one of the yep. top guys in the AHL. And he finally got a taste, played five games, some decent moments. Clearly not fully ready, got sent back down again, right? Is LaCara Mackey going to step in 
and and not only handle NHL minutes, but be prolific in NHL minutes no, straight that's out too of big Sweden. Of an ask. It, it's it's unrealistic. And he's still a teenager. It's a hope and a prayer. Yeah, you know, and and to me, that's not something that you can bank on in any way, shape, or form. Again, if he comes here and he's a black ace, potentially, sure, maybe they have to lean on some players because of injuries, and maybe just maybe he gets an opportunity, but uh, like he's not going to be a solution. Uh, what else do we got question-wise coming in? Uh, Steve Body, did PD extend for eight years just to spite his hated nemesis, JT Miller? <laughs> the, is that a narrative that, that died the hardest, the toughest death over the past uh, few hours here? Uh, it feels like it, you know. And this is not to say JT and Pedersen are best friends. Like, they're not besties. Like, they, no. they're not hanging out, you know, every they're day. They're not going to watch Dune 2 together. No, they're not playing video games together. No. JT's not a video game guy. No. You know what I mean? He's a family man. Yeah, completely different worlds. JT, American, loves just hanging out with his family, playing hockey, yeah. hunting, having his beers, you know, playing golf. Yeah. That's his life, you know? Yeah. Very, very chill. Pedersen, different world, different type of player, different type of person. Yes. Doesn't have kids, doesn't have family. Like, like they're not from the same world, right? No. So to expect them to be best friends, I think, would never really work. But I do think the notion that they hate each other has been has been widely overstated. Yeah, it's, it's pretty clear that uh, there was more hyperbole in a lot of that than anything else. I know the sentiment started to grow over these last couple of weeks with some of the speculation of... Pedersen's future is, and I heard this from a couple of people, is his relationship with Miller one reason why Pedersen wouldn't commit? Well, put it to bed because Pedersen committed for eight years. Yeah. So you're not going to love everybody in your workplace. You're not going to be besties with everybody in your workplace, but you can manage with them if you believe in the project. And clearly, Elias Pedersen believes in the project here in Vancouver. Yeah, it certainly does. Um, this one here from Sean T. Leahy. Given the ongoing pressure PD will face to justify this massive payday, should he be sent down to Abbotsford to get his confidence back? Removes tongue from cheek. No. <laughs> and, and I do think, and there's been, you know, uh, uh, my buddy uh, also sent a message asking, you know, um, he hasn't been playing his best the last little bit. He was really bad against the Kings. Is this g- going to allow us to see a better version of him now that he signed a contract? I hope so. Uh, there was a level of relief that you could see in Pedersen's demeanor today. Um, he admitted as much to the noise sort of being something that has gotten to him a little bit lately. But there could be the flip side. Um, William Nylander, after he signed the contract, really struggled. Yeah. <laughs> you know, really struggled. Pedersen, when he signed his bridge deal, struggled out of the gate that season as well. So are all those things meaning that Pedersen's going to struggle? I I actually think it's going to have the flip side effect like some of uh, the, the, the commentary you just mentioned because now it's done. Now there's a relief. I'm not thinking about it. I don't need to score more goals in order to make sure my value is where it needs to be when we go to the negotiating yeah. table. There's none of that. He can just focus on hockey, which, as he said at the beginning of the season, was his big focus. I just want to focus on the hockey and worry about the contract later. Things and hysteria and uh, noise got to a level where the focus became outside of hockey. Now the focus can be back solely on hockey. So so, uh, I I used this example to you before the show. Yeah. 
I, I'm hoping it's going to be like if you if you watch that Thirty for Thirty, the two Escobars, yes. great documentary and very sad, obviously. But the funniest thing about that was Pablo Escobar bought the Medellin soccer team. Yes, one of the teams in Medellin, and then he started paying all the players a lot of money, yes. like way more money than any of the other players were making in, in Colombia playing soccer. Where did all this money come from? And uh. these guys just like <laughs> went from being you know like the Washington Generals to the Harlem Globetrotters. Yes. Like it just like they just turn around and just like start trucking everybody. So is Patterson gonna find that Harlem Globetrotter? level now that he's gotten paid big money uh you would you would certainly <laughs> hope so uh adam banks does Pedersen signing make vancouver a more desirable destination for, for free agents now i would say uh the season that the canucks are having and having elite players on your roster which suggests you're going to continue being a contender helps the canucks attract players um Look, there's no doubt that this team has done a full 180 as far as like the perception yeah. around the team and the organization. But I think those two things go hand in hand. It's one thing to just have star players on your roster that can help attract talent, but also guys want to see that they're going to have a chance to win. Mm-hmm. And I think that's those two things go hand in hand. So yes, to answer the question, I do think this helps attract free agents. Let's hit two more before we get out. Canucks stand. Will the Canucks win a cup in the next eight years? I'll say yes. Screw it. We're feeling good today. <laughs> feeling good vibes. You know what? From a selfish perspective <laughs> and uh, being one of the hosts on Canuck Central here in Vancouver, also yes. Yeah, why not? We'll, we'll, we'll ride the good vibes and we'll end it with this one. Based on history, the answer would be no, but we're, we're going to say yes. Okay? Shush it, Dan. It's a glass half full Saturday. Yes, that's what we're doing today. We're celebrating. Michael Louis, uh, Louis, uh, L- Michael. Okay. Sorry. There's a good reason this is the last one now. Do you think Alvin's Swedish meatballs played a big role? Uh, did they finally have the dinner that uh, Alvin alluded to in an earlier interview on uh, on Canuck Central? Yeah. One can only suggest that that has happened. And uh, they wined and dined, figured out a contract over some Swedish meatballs. Uh, Phil asked, what are, the, what are your, your plans for the rest of the day now? I know you had to like you had to cancel some plans. Well, I was going to go watch Dune, but uh, now I'm going to have to scrap that. I had the tickets and everything and uh, have to figure out what uh, what we're going to... We might not be able to get those tickets again today, so mm-hmm. we'll, we'll watch it in the future. What's your biggest challenge? Figuring out what to do next or mending fences? Uh, <laughs> probably the latter. <laughs> Let's uh, just say dinner's on me today. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it doesn't matter if it's your wife. It's, yeah, but, but, no, not. but regardless, I know, Reach. It, yeah. it, it, honestly, you're the MVP for, for making sure hey, you came in today. Hey, it's, uh, and it's not an easy thing. It's I know. life in the business. We no. live for days like this. <laughs> Sorry if it uh, maybe ruffles some feathers back at home, but uh, that's, uh, that's what comes with the job. Uh, apologies, V. Yeah. <laughs> Love you. (laughs) (laughs) All right. That's going to do it for this Canuck Central Emergency Podcast. Appreciate you, the listener, sending in the questions all the time. We have a Canucks game to preview tomorrow. The Anaheim Ducks. Elias Pettersson and his shiny new contract. I'm sure maybe our odds boost plays will have a narrative street suggestion with Elias Pettersson involved. But that'll happen tomorrow. 4 o'clock is the pregame, 4.30 on Sportsnet Pacific, and a 5 o'clock puck drop. We'll talk to you then on Canuck Central.